This is, these are changes that happen that we are not expecting. There's a variety of, 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 we'll look at this a little bit later in the teaching tonight, there's various kinds of what I call uninvited change that can take place. And uh, yet there's also not only negative, what we would consider negative or challenging undesired change, but sometimes there can be, uh, or unwelcome un, uh, change, there can be good um, uninvited change that comes. Like a job promotion, like asking someone out on a date and they actually say yes, and like you weren't expecting that, and that's a positive change, right? And so it's, it's just like unexpected. But the second kind of change that we can see is what I would call desired change. And these are the, the kinds of changes that we really are very much uh, working toward making those changes. And some of it has to do with self-realization. We get to the point where maybe we're disgusted with some aspect of our life or we have been confronted where there's been an intervention. Have you ever been a part of an intervention where everybody gets together and then you find out that you're the subject of what the intervention is and you're like, oh, I thought we were just having like a movie night. But you guys are actually like this is about me, and, you know, and it can be like, we get to the point where it's like the Michael Jackson song, like Man in the Mirror. It's like we look at ourselves and it's like we have reached a moment that we realize we've got to make, I've, that you've got to make the change or I've got to make a change here. The third kind of change is what I would call transformational change, and that often is, a, is kind of uh, hand in hand with this self-realization moment that you have. But this has to do with more spiritual transformation. It's the kind of change that, that is uh, set upon when, uh, when a person realizes that maybe there's more to this life than I had really thought. And that would uh, cause one to pursue to learn more about a spiritual path such as Christianity. Or there could be a Christian that says, you know, I've been a Christian, so to speak, for years, but I feel like I really want to uh, have more of a transformational season of knowing God in a deeper way or, or knowing Jesus or knowing the Word of God in a deeper way. And so they embark upon this path of transformational change. And then the fourth change that I could see is a person that is pursuing to be a, a participant of societal or cultural change where they pick up on a cause that they identify with and say, you know, I want to be a change agent. I want to participate in this cause that will help bring about change, positive change in a city, in a culture, in a community, maybe the culture of a family. Maybe you're in a family and you're tired of everybody being negative every time you get around the table for dinner. And you say, no, something's got to change here and I want to start bringing positive words at the dinner table. You're about bringing positive cultural change. And again, any one of these could be a whole, uh, a whole sermon or a whole teaching. But we don't have that luxury of having a series on change right now. So all of this under the umbrella of change. We will focus on some of these tonight, though, as we uh, go through uh, tonight's teaching. A couple weeks ago, Shelly and I decided to watch a movie. And we decided on the movie One Night in Miami. 
And I don't know how many of you have seen that. Maybe you you've saw the trailer and you've heard about that movie. And uh, basically, it is uh, about a conversation that takes place, a fictitious conversation that takes place one night in Miami. And I want to say a disclaimer up front that the movie had more language than I had thought it was going to have. Uh, so I just want you, you know, if you start watching that, I say, well, I didn't expect that. I'm just telling you the language is, is uh, a little bit rough at, at points. But this conversation has some, some interesting points in it. And the conversation happens between four very influential black leaders in the 1960s. Malcolm X, the activist, is really the one leading the discussion. Then there's Cassius Clay, who was known by Cassius Clay at that time. Uh, and he later becomes, of course, he chooses the name Muhammad Ali. You may have heard of that name. And then there is the uh, all-pro future Hall of Fame running back, Jim Brown from the, uh, from the Cleveland Browns that uh, is a part of the conversation, and a musician by the name of Sam Cooke, who's a singer, songwriter, producer. Now this fictitious conversation is set to happen the night of February 24th, 1964, and it's the night that in real history that Cassius Clay, Muhammad Ali, defeats Sonny Liston and becomes a heavyweight champion of the world. And so instead of going out to party after that uh, big event, that, that victory, they end up in a kind of a rundown hotel room and have this conversation. And there's a point, the reason I bring up this movie, there's a point in this conversation that happens in the movie between Malcolm X and Sam Cooke. Sam Cooke, up to that point, had, had several hits, like top Billboard Top 100, Top 10 hits, but all of the songs were basically fluffy pop love songs and really had very little to do or nothing to do with change, the kind of change that Malcolm X was wanting to propagate. And so he really gets in Sam Cooke's grill and he says, you know what, you've got this gift, you have this talent, you have this influence, but you're wasting it. You're not using it for any good purpose to bring about change. And he really just is very critical of Sam Cooke. And that conversation as it goes on, just so you know, there's not a big resolve to it. It's not like the whole world was better by the end of the movie or anything. And so. Uh, I don't think I did any spoilers that would keep you from uh, watching the movie. But here's what history tells us. This isn't fictitious. That before Sam Cooke was tragically killed later that year, and he was not assassinated, but it was a domestic dispute at a hotel in Southern California, and he was shot and killed. And Sam Cooke, before that tragic night, had written and recorded a song about change. It's almost like that conversation happened in real time, real life, and then uh, Sam Cooke decided to be an agent of change. And I just want to uh, read these lyrics to you. The song is titled, Change is Gonna Come. 
And the chorus goes like this. It's been a long, long time coming, but I know change is going to come. Oh, yes, it will. So somewhere along the way, Sam Cooke decided to be a part of trying to change culture, to change society, and use his music for something beyond just making money and what would be considered frivolous love songs. Now we look at change in our life and just think of the last 18 months. A lot of change. So much change that COVID-19 brought. Change in employment, change in how people work, change in work cultures. So many still working from home or talking about hybrid work situations. Unfortunately, many, many people lost their jobs. There were changes in how families celebrate holidays and how families get together or don't get together. There were all kinds of changes, some tragic changes in terms of those who got really sick, those that are no longer with us. Change after change after change. And then we think about, on top of COVID, George Floyd and what happened on that day in Minneapolis and the cry for change. Like, if we looked at Sam Cooke's lyrics, change is going to come, all of a sudden, it's like the world is screaming, change has got to come. Change has got to come. Change. And so as we look at this, we see that uh, even with regard to change, well, can, can finances be a part of change? Well, interesting, I read an article in the Washington Post earlier this week about how corporate America has basically, how they have contributed almost $50 billion toward change in terms of social justice. In this article, they've done a big analysis of this $50 billion that's been spent or committed by corporate America. And they say, you know what? That's not going to bring about change. Nice to be able to say we threw a lot of money at it and everything got better, but what this analysis said is no, change is only going to happen when systems and policies and the hearts of people change. That's the only hope to bring about the change. It's not in corporate America. I do believe the majority of people are all about good change. They're all about being a part of something that will breathe life and health and hope into communities. I believe the nature of people is good and, and the majority of people want that kind of change. To be a part of a solution like Sam Cooke ended up being a part of in the song that he wrote. Like scientists who went to work, they rolled up their sleeves, said we've got to expedite this thing you know, of coming up with vaccines for COVID and how they were a part of a solution. They could have sat back and just say, well, I'm just going to wear a mask and I'm going to stay at home. But no, they at high risk and they, they just threw themselves into bringing about positive change. I think of soldiers that are very much uh, heroic in their sacrifice to try to bring about changes to help the, the embetterment of countries. I think about ministries such as Compassion International and Convoy of Hope that wants to change the world one child at a time. 
offering hope to one family at a time, through reaching out and, and helping. That just is a microcosm of so many things that are positive in the world to bring about change. But what happens when we commit ourselves to be a part of a movement like Anchor Church, to be a part of something that wants to bring life and vitality and hope to a city? What happens when we set our sights on a cause and we are fully committed to it and then all of a sudden we get whammied with that thing called uninvited change, unwelcome change, changes that can just take the wind out of our sails, so to speak. You know, there are, there's a top eight uninvited changes, and I thought, I wonder why there's only eight. Maybe they got exhausted when they got to number eight, and they said, you know what, we can't even do a top 10. This is so depressing. We're just gonna stop at eight. Here's the top eight uninvited change things that can happen. First of all, friendship changes. You ever been a part of experience where you were really close, had intimate friendship with someone, but then something happened? Maybe it was just distance or time, but the friendship changed and it was difficult. There's failure in general. So just there's a big umbrella of things that we try and we fail at. And I'm, I've had those experiences and I still have those experiences. Nobody's immune to failure. Can I get an amen from that? Has anybody else has one thing that they failed at? Yeah, okay, well maybe not. We have a really successful crowd here tonight. All right. Uh, breakups or divorce. Breakups or divorce can be uninvited change. Losing a job or getting older, and there's a season of change that comes with getting older at times. It's like going from adolescence to college and, oh, I got to get a job now. <laughs> That's a season of change, right? getting older, getting injured or falling sick, or suffering a, a natural disaster like we've seen in Haiti, like we have seen recently on the West Coast with the fires, an entire town was burned down. Uh, just tragic natural disasters that can happen. And then of course, the death of a loved one. Now, the teaching tonight is not to bum you out about the possible things that could happen to you, okay? So that's not why we're talking about this, but we want to get to the point where we are hopefully offering some, some words of encouragement so we can all together prepare for the eventuality of change coming because change is gonna come like Sam Cooke sang about. So tonight I would like to suggest three components of preparing for change. The first is this, to develop a firm foundation for your life. To develop, establish a firm foundation for your life. You know, many want to bring about change, but then they find that they're not really equipped to do so. They want to change the world, but they don't really look at their own life and how they can have a foundation that would prepare them to make a difference. Leo Tolstoy said this, everyone thinks of changing the world, but no one thinks about changing themselves. 
But could there be changes that we could make in our life, positive changes, that would do two things? First of all, would equip us to go through a door of opportunity to help bring about change in our world at the same time that we are preparing for that, that we would also be laying a foundation to prepare us for some of the tragic changes that can happen in a life? Could we actually have a foundation that would prepare us for opportunity plus what we would consider challenging changes? I think so. And this is why I'm so excited to share this with you tonight. And we're drawn back to King David. And it's interesting, uh, this just hit me this afternoon. Because last week, Ryan talked about the, on the Game of Life series, he talked about loneliness and was drawn to the story of King David. And here, tonight, talking about change, and I'm drawn to the story of King David. And why is that? It's because the Psalms, we... The Psalms are the stuff of life, the ups and downs, the, the, the good times, the tragic times, and, and everything in between. And when we look at change, we, we have to look, I think, at this central character of the Old Testament, David. Now, David uh, had many changes in his life. He went from a relative unknown kid that would just watch sheep and and do the things that kids in that day did and then he has this amazing day where he takes down a giant uh, and next thing you know he's famous he has that kind of change to go from unknown to fame and then he is in and out of King Saul's favor see David was not the first king of Israel Saul was and he starts off, David is, starts off uh, really in the favor of King Saul. And then he gets out of favor, back in favor, out of favor. So there's changes in the dynamic of the leader of the nation. The, the supreme uh, human authority in his life. And so he has to deal with those changes to the point where at one point... The, the leader, Saul, is literally pursuing David to kill him. The same king that once welcomed David in his courts to play beautiful music for him. That's change. He also had the death of his best friend by the name of Jonathan. He lost his best friend. And then he experienced the death of a child, an infant child. He had to go through the change there and the loss of life and mourning. He also had to experience the change of a son, another son, rebelling against him to the point of wanting to usurp David as king and wanted to basically go to war with David, his own son rebelling to that degree. He also had to deal with a situation where in one season of his life, his daughter was raped. Not only raped, but raped by one of his sons. So he talked about tragedy and tragedy and tragedy and challenge and change. And then, 
in the, toward the end of his life, he had one dream remaining. That dream was to build a temple for his God. He really wanted to do that. We know that David was described as the man after God's own heart. He loved the Lord. The Lord had been faithful to him and he wanted to build the Lord a temple. And the Lord said, it's not for you to do. You've been going to too many wars. You have blood on your hands and your son, the next king, will be able to fulfill your dream, but it's not for you. So we look at David's life and we see all of this change, like so much change, more change than I will ever experience. But yet we see that, that David relied on a strong foundation to bring him through those seasons of darkness and challenge. He writes about it in Psalm 18, verse 2. The Lord is my rock, my fortress and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. To me, it's very clear, and, he's, and David articulates this in very different ways in one verse that he relied on the Lord. He had this foundation, the rock of his life was, was God. We also see sometimes we don't look at spiritual disciplines that, that David had. I would suggest to you that a foundation just doesn't happen. That there has to be disciplines, there has to be a commitment. And sometimes we don't talk about Old Testament characters and spiritual disciplines because Jesus had not been born yet. There was prophecy in the Psalms even about the Messiah coming. Throughout the Old Testament, there's prophecies. But David had spiritual disciplines. He had spiritual rhythm and exercises in his, in his life. First of all, and I would suggest that you really take note of these spiritual disciplines that David had. First of all, he worshiped at all times. One of the Psalms says, I will bless the Lord at all times. My praise will be on his lips, on my lips. And so he worshiped, not only when it was convenient, not only when everything was going well, but he was a worshiper of God. That's a spiritual discipline. Being here tonight in this space, tuning in on live stream, worshiping with us, that's a spiritual discipline. Good job. And that's something that builds us. Sometimes you don't think of worship, singing songs of praise to the Lord and, and exalting the Lord is a part of building a firm foundation for our life. That's a good thing. Another thing that we know about David to be true is he was a man of scripture. Now get this, he only had the Torah, which is five books, the first five books of the Old Testament. That was David's Bible. But he knew the word of God. He quotes at different points uh, parts of the Torah. But look at what we have compared to what David had. We have the Psalms that David and others wrote. We have the wisdom books. We have the prophecies. We have all the Old Testament. We have the Gospels. We have all the letters that were written to the early churches. We have so much more at our fingertips than David had. But Bible study was a part of his discipline. Prayer. The Psalms are not only known as the song book of the Bible, but the prayer book of the Bible. 
says at one point that we know that David uh, prayed seven times a day. He had a rhythm in his days, a spiritual discipline of praying to his God. That was a part of the foundation that he had. He also was committed to community, which is a part of having spiritual disciplines. Last week, Pastor Ryan mentioned the in, in a season of loneliness that 400 men came and surrounded him and ministered to him, had fellowship with him and encouraged him. He was a man of community. He was not, unless he was on the run from Saul, he was, did not isolate himself. He knew the value of being together in, the, in that case of being together with brothers. But he was a man of the people, a man with the people, community, being a part of a worship gathering, large or small, like our small group crew ministry. This will feed you and help you and nurture you and help you to have a stronger foundation. And so when those winds blow that you can stand on that rock because you have been building a strong foundation. And then service. Service. That's a spiritual discipline. And David was committed to service. He did best, in fact, when he went out with the army to fight. He did best when he was engaged, when he was active and serving. In fact, he did not do well when he stayed at home. That's where he got into big trouble, committed adultery, and then it was a part of murder when he was not serving. And he just took it easy and isolated himself. I don't have time to get into that story, but he was about, his best days were when he was serving his nation. Jesus, our ultimate example, came not to be served, but came to serve. And so, as those are serving in the house of the Lord tonight, our musicians, those in kids, anchor kids, those on our first impressions team, those that are working on our tech team, everyone serving, you probably don't realize this, but you're helping even in your serving, you're building a stronger foundation than if you were not serving. Serving is a part of building us up. But it's a transformational process. It's like laying one brick at a time on a foundation. John Cotter, in his excellent book, Leading Change, which I, if you're in a leadership position and your business is going through change, I highly recommend John Cotter's book, Leading Change. He says this, and I believe it to be true spiritually as well as in business, transformation is a process, not an event. I think there are too many Christians that think that they're transformed totally the minute that they say the prayer and commit their life to Jesus. That is the, that's hitting the starting line. There's a transformational event that takes place, but it's just the beginning of a journey to know Christ and to build that foundation in a transformational process. And it says in the New Testament, for us to work out our salvation. What does that mean? Get to work. Roll up your sleeves and have the spiritual disciplines and build this foundation for your life. Why do some Christians handle change no better than non-Christians? 
Has that ever surprised you? Maybe you surprised yourself at times when you got whammied with change, lost your job, lost a friendship, something happened, and you're like, I'm not dealing with this any better than my unsafe friends. What's the deal? Could I suggest that you haven't, at that moment, you hadn't laid the foundation, you hadn't been a part of a transformational process so that you were equipped to handle the change? We have to do that if we want to rise above the fray when change comes that's uninvited. Jesus tells a story, I'm gonna skip down a little bit, Paul. Jesus tells a story that is it's called a parable. It's a visual story about change and how we can best prepare for change. It's familiar to many of you from Matthew chapter 7. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Like a person who builds a house on a solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the flood waters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish like a person who builds house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. I'm gonna put an image of a house that didn't fare so well when the storm came. It was built on sand. I'll get out of the way so you can see it. So yeah, there's a, there's a problem there, but unfortunately I have metaphorically, I've seen lives that crumble like this house when adversity comes, when change comes, because they weren't ready for it. And if I could say anything to you tonight here or tuning in podcast or live stream, this is just a, an encouragement to you to start preparing for that day now. So your life doesn't crumble like this house crumbled when that maybe a hurricane came or a storm came your way. Well, as we prepare for uninvited change, we have the assurance of one thing that will never change, which is our second point. I might say the second, third points are much shorter than the first point. You're like, all right, that's good. The assurance is this. And our second point is know that God never changes. Everything around you could change. Your, the people around you, your job, uh, where you're living, everything. You could just like, your life could be turned upside down, but God never changes. What does that mean? That means that his attributes never change. His love, his mercy, his, his grace, his guidance, his presence, all of the wonderful things we know to be true about God never, ever will change. The writer of Hebrews, when he's writing to the Jewish Christians who have gone through so much change, they've gone from Judaism to Christianity, which means they've gone from a very strict religious law system to relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ, totally flipped religion upside down. They've gone through that change. They've gone from living in safety 
relative safety to intense persecution. In time, the temple is going to be destroyed in Jerusalem where the Christians are meeting and worshiping and they scatter all over that part of the world because of fear. So much change that the Jewish Christians are going through that at the very last chapter of the letter to the Hebrews, the writer starts saying, there's going to be more change coming. And they're probably like, oh no, we're going through so much change right now. But there's a pastor's heart that's warning them. And here's some of the things he, he challenges them to be on, their, on alert for. That there'll be outcasts coming into the community that could change their culture, that could give them false teaching. So be on, a, on alert from those that are coming into your community. He talks about the changes in life and in a marriage that lust can bring. He talks about the changes that can come when somebody loves money. He talks about changes that come from being abandoned, being left alone, and inserts this promise right in the middle of this, these warnings. God's promise, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Even as he's warning them about, be on your toes because some of you are going to be forsaken. Some of you, the, some people close to you are going to leave you, but God will never leave you. He says, be on your alert for change that stirs up fear, warnings that will come, persecution that will come, and you're going to be fearful. And so then he interjects this with confidence, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? It's like a battle cry. Change is coming, but the Lord will be with you. He says uh, to be on your alert for ungodly leaders that will start propagating a different gospel. Be on your toes. You know, question the doctrine. Make sure it's sound doctrine. And then in the middle of the list, the writer assures his audience with these words, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Again, change coming, but God will never change. So we build a strong foundation. We're comforted to know that God will never change. And the third thing that we can do, we do well to do, is to have faith in God that he can work through the season of change that we're going through. To have faith in what God can do as we are experiencing a season of change. In year 2008, Shelley and I accepted a pastorate in a community just northwest of here in Lexington. We've been a part of a relative healthy large church in the Midwest. And after eight years of ministry there, we felt God leading us to pastor this church. We were voted in a 97% vote, which is a good vote. And as we moved there, transitioned, left family, left friends, left all we knew, really, and moved to Lexington, and started pastoring the church. We were following a beloved man that had been there 52 years. Now, I've been here eight years, eight and a half years, so add 44 years to my 
pastoral ministry here. And he, that's how long that, that Sam, and Sam's a friend, but Sam uh, pastored that church. Don't worry, I'm not going to pastor 44 more years. Be like, hello, anchor. You know, as they roll me out here, that's not going to happen. But here's what, the upshot of it is that they weren't ready for another pastor and we weren't ready for that situation or to pastor them. And after success, the Lord had given us successful ministries, we basically, after 10 months, we didn't even make it to a year. After 10 months, for all intents and purposes, we were fired. And we were heartbroken. We questioned God, questioned ourselves. We were hurt. We were angry. We, we went through all of the emotions that, you, that something like that will bring. And yet in that season of change, uninvited change, we did not anticipate that at all the Lord worked in our lives the Lord taught us about himself taught us two primary lessons the first is he reminded us drastically where our security was that our security was not in a position it was not being a part of a church. It wasn't in a bank account. It wasn't in a paycheck. It was, all of that was like questionable and stripped away. And we're like, we have no job. And Lord, show us the way. And one of the things he revealed to us is I am your security. I'm all you need. And then that led to the second thing we learned is that God is trustworthy. We could be confident in those seasons of change that, that God's going to see us through. And he did beautifully. He put us on a trajectory that we would never have, never ever have started Anchor Church had we not had that season of great disappointment. So we learned about security. We learned about God being trustworthy and learning those lessons. And we're going through change now. We're going through changes in many different levels. There's change in the church. There's change uh, at the college I teach. There's change in our family. There's change after change. There's change with Shelly's job. I, I would dare say that everybody here is going through change right now. In the change that we're going through, God is at work. May God give us the, the curiosity to ask him, Lord, reveal more about yourself, reveal lessons that I can learn, reveal more about myself in this season because I know that you never change. I know that you have good for, for me, for us, and I trust in you. He is trustworthy. I had sung... I had read, I had taught Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 for so long, but during that season we lived this out. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him and he will make your paths straight. 
Why? Because he is the firm foundation. He is the rock of our life. One more psalm and then we're going to close together. Psalm 32, verse 8. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. I love that so much and here's why I love it. The verse could just be this and it would be strong. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you. That's all good. That's great. Praise the Lord for that. But then there's this phrase added that just jumps off the page into my heart. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. He sees us. With love, he reaches out a loving eye on us, on you. His loving eye is on you, friends. As his loving eye is on you to instruct you, to counsel you, to guide you through a season of change that you may be in or maybe just around the corner, I encourage you to do three things. I'd like the band to come at this time. Three things. First of all, are you establishing that foundation for your life through spiritual disciplines? Are you committed to a transformative process to equip you for opportunities to be a part of change for the positive? At the same time, the foundation that you're establishing through process, disciplines, rhythms in your life for the eventuality of some challenging changes that could come. Lay that firm foundation. Number two, take comfort in and be strengthened in the knowledge that God never changes. Sometimes that's all I've had to hold on to with everything else changing. God, I know you never change, so that's why you're the rock of my life. And then third, if you're going through a season now or just may the Holy Spirit seal this in your heart, that as you go through a season of change, of challenge, even upset, uncertainty, know that God is working on your behalf. He will teach you more about himself. He will teach you about yourself. And the coming together of that knowledge and experience will be transformative in itself. So have confidence that the Lord hasn't turned his back on you and said, you know, when you get through this tough season, ring me up, I'll come right back. No, he's with us and he is working on our behalf. The guys are going to lead us in a song or two. And oftentimes in this moment, we pray together, but I want you to pray. I don't want you to sing as they start this song. I encourage you just to close your eyes and whatever is in your heart to respond to the Lord in prayer right now, it could be about setting that foundation. It could be, Lord, just thank you for being the God that never changes, the living God. Or God, show me, show me how you're working, just a glimpse of how you're working right now in the change I'm going through. Whatever it might be, let's reach out to God. Let's respond to God. And then after a couple of songs, Shelly's going to come lead us in prayer and then conclude the service. Let's draw near to the Lord and he will draw near to us.